please be advised. We will be discussing subjects that may not be suitable for all audiences, and will include subjects that some will find challenging, traumatic, or triggering. Welcome to You Don't Fight Alone, a podcast sharing the stories of those of us successfully living with mental illness and how we got here. I had been living in a house. Well, context, um, it had been a semester of a lot of change and a lot of like changes of ideals. And so just a lot of um, pressure put on me from my family and the people in my life and um, the school that I was at. And so I just kind of broke and I had this um, house that I was living in and what OCD decides to do is it takes these like um, metaphysical things happening in your life or the ways that you see yourself and it puts it into a trigger and it puts it into a reaction towards that. And so in this house I was living at, my friend, my housemate got a dog. I was totally fine with it, like loved the dog. And then one day found out it had fleas and just like flipped like a switch. And suddenly fleas was like this ginormous trigger. And suddenly like I thought every single dog had trigger, had fleas. Um, and so I couldn't be in the house for, and for like two weeks. I think I just like lived in my friend's house. And um, every time I would try and go back into the house was just like panicking. Um, and so eventually moved out of the house probably didn't eat for like those two weeks um so moved out of the house and then after that came all of the um aftermath of that and all of the um bigger things surrounding um that trigger and so then came in the belief of okay this dog had fleas all dogs have fleas and you can't sit on couches that you don't know because it could have fleas or it could have bed bugs and all these like random triggers that decide to pop up um so I was pretty much inside the house for the next like six months um I mean I would leave to go to class because I'm just that kid who gets their ass out of bed to go to class even though you're like at your worst um but yeah it was it was pretty rough and I just didn't really know if it was gonna ever stop. My name is Kira um, and formally my diagnosis is obsessive compulsive disorder, um, major depressive disorder, and then panic disorder. Those are the technical ones but um, the most predominant one um, is definitely OCD. Um, it's kind of a fun journey, but um, when I was a kid, I had no idea I had OCD backstory. I didn't know that until uh, I think my sophomore year of college. Um, but when I was a kid, every night before I would go to bed, um, I was afraid that I was going to like accidentally burn the house down and like kill my family accidentally. And so I would check every single outlet in my room like five times 
and I would count each one like five times and like feel the socket five times to make sure that the um, outlets weren't or the plugs weren't plugged in just slightly because I thought that that would start a fire. So I would do that every single night. And that was like from the time I was eight until I left the house for college. That was probably my longest standing trigger. Um, I had no idea why I was doing that. I just thought I was crazy to use that word that's thrown around about mental health. Um, and so I don't do that anymore. Not ever really a fear that goes through my mind. But um, then I went to college and I had some other ones throughout my childhood, just random ones, uh, mostly like contamination, like germs based. Um, but then in college, I had this one that was surrounding the glass that I mentioned. Um, I worked in food service at a Froyo shop at the time. And um, I thought that if I like broke a glass, so say I like broke this glass, it's here in front of me. Um, and then I like shook out my clothes, washed my hands, cleaned it all up, it would be fine. My OCD brain told me that it's still on me. My OCD brain told me that if I took that home and put my clothes on my couch and then the next day sat on that couch, then I would have the glass shards on my clothes and then would take it to work and then get the shards of glass in the food. And therefore, someone would eat the food and then end up in the hospital and it would be all my fault. And that's what my brain told me for like a whole summer. That was definitely also a low point. I had no idea what was going on with my brain and I would just have like panic attacks about it literally all the time. Um, uh, that one's also pretty much gone, mostly. Sometimes when things break, I still have my husband clean it up because it's still trigger a little bit, but not as bad. Um, and then, let's see what other ones. Um, yeah, I mean, the fleas was a really big one. Um, some around, like, thinking when I talk to people, I'm going to, like, tell them something that I shouldn't tell them. And, like, afterwards going, I mean, everyone goes back over their conversations, but my OCD brain is, like, you told them you loved them and you were talking to your teacher. Like, of course you did that and they're going to hate you and blah, 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 blah. Um, things like that. Um, and then currently the one is bed bugs, gone back to that, but so they kind of like cycle around. So like I'm not afraid of fleas anymore, not afraid of dogs, but now it's bed bugs. And I believe that random beliefs that like random things have bed bugs that obviously don't have bed bugs. So yeah, it changes and grows and it's kind of OCD. I always say OCD is a bitch because you get over one thing. And then it just comes back as another thing. And you're like, seriously, <laughs> like I just figured you out. The thing about these is I never really realize how they start. So it just kind of gradually amps up until suddenly I realize I'm like afraid of my bedroom floor. And I'm like, oh, that's not, that's not right. I guess this is now a trigger. <laughs> yeah. So I grew up Christian and left Christianity essentially like end of my junior year, but I was going to a Christian college and was very deeply involved in the church. I was like a leader in a lot of things and then just kind of 
flip-flopped like within a semester and so came back and kind of didn't talk about it and pretended that I was still a Christian and that kind of like killed me inside so the next semester I just came back in August and was like to all my professors like hey I'm not a Christian that summer I told my parents I'm not a Christian that did not go very well um and I mean they're they're supportive but um a lot of people just being very disappointed and grieving and a lot of people grieving because of me um was the general theme like I had a professor that essentially said she went home and grieved for like an entire weekend because I left Christianity and like all of her work with me was a failure because of that and I'm like really like one student okay and so it was just that that themes and then it came back to like those messages of you're hurting other people by who you are and that's kind of where the space where OCD loves to be because it essentially functions off of a fear of hurting other people but in extremely irrational ways well I mean the more crippling thing was definitely leaving the Christianity and also um it's pretty common that with OCD it gets a lot worse and mental breakdowns like this happen around times of transition so for me when this happened I was about to graduate I was about to move back to Colorado I was about to get married all these like some of the biggest transitions of a person's life so that I think that had to do with it along with all of these other things like I wouldn't blame the school necessarily I diagnosed myself which you should never do I figured it out myself sophomore year um so I've had a really uh tough road with mental health care which is awkward because I work in that now but um I went to therapy my whole senior year and um was pretty much focused on like just generalized anxiety but um, no diagnosis or anything um and sophomore year well freshman year I tried to go to some therapy but didn't really last and then sophomore year um I had a therapist that I went in and was trying to talk about these triggers and mainly the glass. Um, and she was, sent, she was a student. She was an intern. But sometimes interns can do a lot of damage when they don't know what they're doing. And she essentially told me that, like, oh, you look fine. Like, you probably don't have any diagnoses. And so I just like shut down and honestly, I'm still, still recovering from that because I just believed it, it like reinforced all the messages that, oh, like you're just crazy. Like everybody has these thoughts or you're literally losing your goddamn mind. Like, so yeah, that was kind of a roadblock. Um, and then I think that summer I had also started reading about OCD and was really curious about it and had just like read online um honestly just a lot of 
research and I think I took like a few tests, which also so dangerous. All of this is such dangerous area, like should not have done that. But also like it's what got me to where I am today and recognizing this. Um, so I figured out that I really fit a lot of the categories. So I kind of started exploring it and was like, okay, maybe this is language at least to help me talk about my experiences. Um, and then went to another therapist end of my junior year and that also went very horribly, but that's it. I won't go into that, but, <laughs> um, and then, yeah, went back to therapy, like, I think month four, no, it was like month five or six into mental breakdown after the dog thing, um, and finally at that point got like a formal diagnosis. I essentially went in and was like, I'm like 90% sure I have OCD. I would really love a diagnosis so I can just like move on with my life and get this finalized, get some medications. Um, and at that point, um, I could talk to a psychiatrist and got all that. Um, so it was a weird journey that is not really the most ideal way to figure out your diagnosis. I have a really supportive family and I'm extremely lucky. I think a lot of my experience with my family has been them also trying to figure out like what is happening. <laughs> um, so I think they, I mean, my family dynamic is definitely, we don't really talk about mental health and even if it's there, it's kind of like hush hush. And then I came out like junior year of high school and was like, I think I have anxiety. I'm having panic attacks. And my parents are like, what is happening? And but they were really supportive and um, tried to figure out uh, what was happening and support me in whatever ways they could. Um, I think since then, I've learned when to go to parents and when to not go to parents because sometimes I think my parents tend to um, overthink things a lot as well as me so sometimes they before they knew o OCD triggers were triggers they would sometimes like um, reinforce the triggers so the weird thing about OCD is that if what my what OCD does if if there's something that I'm afraid of. I believe something has bed bugs, say. I'll ask someone, hey, does this thing have bed bugs? Is that irrational? And they'll say, yes, that's rational. And then five minutes later, I'll ask it again and again and again. So most people, their response to try and show empathy and to try and like help just common human response is to explain why that thing can't possibly have bed bugs and really go into the details of it and like overthink it to its extent and that's like the opposite thing that you want to do with OCD um because it just kind of like sucks you into this spiral and I think it's taken my parents a really long time to get to that point of realizing that they shouldn't do that um so a lot of times I'll come to them and because I, I know when I'm asking an OCD question now, I used to not. So I'll come to them and be like, this is an OCD question. Does this thing have bed bugs? And they're like, hold on, hold on. I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> so yeah, they've been really supportive, but it's been a learning curve for everyone. 
they say that you are not to answer any questions. You're supposed to tell the person, I'm sorry, I did not answer OCD questions and just leave it there and set that boundary. Um, because the intention is that um, you sit with the anxiety. Well, maybe I should just go into exposure therapy a little bit. Um, so the most commonly used um, treatment for OCD is um, exposure and response prevention therapy mixed with um, cognitive behavioral therapy. I almost forgot the word. <laughs> Good old CBT. What that looks like is, um, so essentially you create like a pyramid of fears. So like bottom tier, you have um, small things that make you like a little bit anxious, maybe like three out of 10, and that goes on the bottom rung. Um, and then you have everything up from that to the top, which for me at the time was hugging a stray dog that I found in the middle of the woods. Um, and so how exposure therapy works is you start with the small things and you face one of those um, and then you work up from there and the science, science behind or the thought behind it is um, it's called habituation. It's kind of like when you get into a cold pool of water and it's like freezing at first and it's horrible and then you get used to it and your body figures itself out and it's not cold anymore. Um, so it's kind of like that. You do the fear, you're exposed to it, it's terrifying, you have a panic response and then you realize that it's actually fine and you're not going to die. And, <laughs> and so then you move up to the next rung and to the next one until um, eventually, hopefully you get to the top. Um, it, it's kind of funny to go through what it looked like for me. Cause so what that started with for me, um, a big like, um, compulsion that I would have was I had to shower at the end of every day and I had to like put all my clothes in the wash and I had to be far from my bed and I could never like touch my bed. I would get really panicked if someone would touch my bed, um, and then, so what it started with, um, I lived with a roommate. She was like in my like room roommate, not like housemate. And so what it started as, she, she was my advocate. She was like the one who was holding me accountable to this um, exposure therapy, bless her soul. And, and so what we did, she's like, okay, tonight you can shower, you can put your clothes in the wash, but just your bra, you have to put it on the edge of the bed, not the pillow part, just the edge. And so, and so we have this whole ceremony of me like putting it on the bed and I'm like panicking and she's like, yes. And then I'm finally like, yes. <laughs> and then from there I was like, oh, that was fine. Everything's fine. Like, why do I care about that? So then the next day, or I think it was like two days later, um, we had the goal that I was going to sit on the bed in my clothes before I showered. So I did that, realized everything's fine. And then after that, I think I let her sit on my bed with me and then moved up from there. So it's like this really like kind of hilarious, like looking at it from an outside perspective, like you're just seeing like a person like putting a bra on the bed and it's like 
what are they doing? But it's like, honestly, a moment of triumph in my recovery. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it looks like. Um, small steps. I don't think I ever made it to the top of that pyramid. The th I mean, there's billions of different pyramids. So it's like functioning level. And that's what I was trying to get to. Because at that point, it was hard for me to like leave the house and do normal things and like sit on couches and go to people's houses. Um, so that's all I was trying to get to. <laughs> Would have liked to gotten higher, but um, yeah, at least I was functioning. I, the hard thing about, I think I mentioned this earlier, the hard thing about triggers is that you never realize how bad they're getting until you're like in the depths of one and not functioning. So sometimes I see myself like going down the the slope a little bit, but I'm like, well, I'm still functioning. Like I'm fine. I don't have to put that work in. And then I just like keep letting it slide. But then like some life event will happen and it just like plunges me back into not functioning. So currently I'm like going down the slope. So unfortunately, like honestly not motivated to be working on that. But um, yeah, that would be healthy. <laughs> but we're not always talking about health here. <laughs> I've always kind of felt this sense of, well, you're on your own to figure this out because nothing anybody else is doing is really helping, which is also its own breed of extremely unhealthy beliefs about yourself and other people because that's just not fair to put your treatment on somebody else. But yeah, I mean, I think people just didn't know about OCD. Um, a lot of people don't know about OCD, so how are they supposed to really know how to help it? <laughs> I think generally with mental health, um, I had a few friends who, well, a lot of my friends struggle with mental health in some form or another. Um, but yeah, my senior year, I had one friend who um, validated it a lot and for the first time was validating like, you're not crazy and also like this shouldn't be happening to you like let's try and figure out what's happening and how to help you and um so that started and then I've had lots of friends throughout the years just encouraging me to figure it out or reading some article and they're like oh this sounds like you like send it my way <laughs> I'm like oh yeah that kind of does <laughs> I mean, first of all, I have to go on my rant, and for all the people, please stop saying I'm so OCD or you're so OCD. Don't do that. <laughs> I mean, you can say, oh, that looks like you really enjoy arranging things or having things neatly or I don't know. That's probably the one that gets to me the most, um, but I think... Realistically, for people to understand OCD, just research it, inform yourself about what it is, listen to stories, um, 
if you know someone with OCD, take the time to figure out what their triggers are and what's helpful for them and where they're at in their treatment. Um, and try and meet them where they're at. I think OCD can a lot of times be like an iceberg where you just see the tip of it and it can be difficult as with a lot of mental illness because a lot of it happens inside your head and a lot of the thought patterns and the panic and sometimes I'll be in full panic mode and only people who know me best can see it on the outside and so I think um, people who who don't know a lot about OCD it's helpful to take the time to learn about those things that aren't just locking the door like the scene compulsions but um yeah I mean the best way I found to describe it to people is by what it looks like and describing the thought patterns um because then I think they see the whole the whole picture of what goes on inside my head instead of just they really like locking the door or like they have to do that like this is why I have to do that and why it's so inhibiting to people's lives because it's not just the compulsions it's all of the thought patterns I wish I had exposure response and um, CBT a lot earlier in my life I think if I had started getting those tools in my tool belt a lot sooner then I would be I would have been less likely to um, I mean we all have mental breakdowns even if we have tools in our tool belt but I would what, the impact would have been less great I think For more information please visit youdon'tfightalone.org You Don't Fight Alone is not a medical podcast and does not provide medical advice if medical help is needed, please reach out to a mental health professional. If you are experiencing a medical emergency, please dial 911. The You Don't Fight Alone podcast is a production of You Don't Fight Alone Incorporated, produced and engineered by James Fisher and Keaton Lycom. The information presented by You Don't Fight Alone is not intended as medical advice. If you have mental health questions, please talk to a mental health professional.